Law Focus Podcast. Law Focus. Point, point of information. Good evening and welcome to Law Focus. My name is Melissa Chindiweni. Of course, I'm not alone. I'm together with my colleague, attorney, Tepo Mohapi. And together, we will be a voice of law for the evening right here on VFM 88.1. So we do hope that you will stay tuned with us this evening. It's an incredible day today because 25 years of his life was devoted to the legal profession. And today he finally hung up his boots. And that is, of course, the great legendary justice, Edwin Cameron. Yeah. So we're going to just give a brief history of uh, where he was born and his professional career and why it's so important for us to celebrate the life and work that he did in our South African jurisprudence. Yeah. He's a real giant of, 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 of our legal system and our jurisprudence. It's, it's sad to see him go, but I mean, everybody has to go at some stage. He is 66, so at some yeah. point he has to retire, right? <laughs> yeah, everybody has he to He was go. born in Pretoria uh, in 1953. On the 15th of February, he went to Pretoria Boys High School. He attended Stellenbosch University. He was a very bright spark, don't you think? Yeah. He was so smart. Yeah, he was. Scholarships here and there. Mm. Um, so he got the Anglo-American Open Scholarship where he went and he did his BA Law. He then did a Latin, uh, a degree, an honors degree in Latin. And both of these degrees were cum laude. Mm. And then he went to lecture in Latin and classical studies. I mean, how deep is that? And he went to study at Oxford on a Rhodes Scholarship, again on a scholarship. And then he eventually came back, did his LLB at the University of South Africa. And he was the best law graduate. No doubt he was a very, very, very intelligent yeah. man. So, I mean, he's a well-traveled guy. I'm surprised that he was, he was educated at Stellenbosch. I'm, I'm surprised. I didn't know that. I don't I, know I, why you're surprised. I thought he was up here in the old Transvaal region. But, yeah, I'm very surprised because uh, Stellenbosch in those days was known as quite a conservative university. And to produce such a forward-thinking individual mm. is, uh, is, is, for me, a surprise. It must do with his experiences as well yeah uh, possibly yeah as as a gay man and an hiv aids and uh, activist that, and yeah, someone who's living yeah, with the disease yeah. he condition. practiced from the johannesburg bar from 1983 until 1995 and he was basically a human rights lawyer throughout the 80s uh, and he did very well with our own witwatersrand center for legal uh, for applied legal studies um, and he had a personal professorship in law as well uh, he practiced various types of law, and he also defended some freedom fighters in various cases. Uh, sometimes uh, he also defended people who object, who had conscientious objections, and so on. Um, his, his work is really, really, it is extensive, even with the Union of Mine Workers. He's also very well known for his AIDS activism. He's well known that he is HIV positive, and uh, that has been a big sort of um, fight and in his in his career that uh, he has fought for the rights of people with HIV. It must have been difficult well for him being able to afford ARVs during that time before they became uh, something that was available to everyone. Yeah. Um, and, and watching so and, many and watching so many people, people die not have access and to seeing it, yeah. our president at the time uh, not willing 
you know, denying the fact yeah. that this is a reality that has, you know, South Africa has to do something about and the whole TAC uh, campaign, I think that must have been a really difficult time for him as yeah, well. Yeah, it, it, it could only have been a, a very, very difficult time for him. And uh, in 1994, he was also part of the uh, submissions which were made in respect of uh, a gay and lesbian um, uh, 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 peoples uh, when the negotiations were happening. Finally, he was awarded silk in 1994. Uh, that means he was a senior counsel and he was acted. He was appointed acting president, acting judge uh, of the High Court also in 1994. In 1999, he served a year as acting justice at the Constitutional Court. And then he was at Supreme Court of Appeal, and then he became a Justice of the Constitutional Court in 2008, and to this date. He then retires today, and I don't think there can be a more illustrious career and a person who all around uh, has done uh, so well for the judiciary as a whole in this country. And I think a lot of people should read his final comments. Uh, we'll tweet them a bit later, but they're very profound. And I think if more people adopted his approach towards the law and their duties towards the legal profession and each other, I think South Africa would actually go much further than it has gone now. So thank you very much, Justice Edward Cameron. You are appreciated. Definitely. That is our tribute from Law Focus. And then moving on to the rest of the show, transformation in the judiciary. It's something very important uh, that we are going to talk about. It's going to be a beautiful uh, conversation. We're going to have a wonderful guest whom we're going to basically do a profile interview with as her experience. She shares her experience as a young black woman in the legal fraternity. She is a lawyer. And the reason we need to talk about this is because the African Commission on Human and People's Rights, CGE, that is the Commission for Gender Equality Reports, have consistently shown, unfortunately, that South African judiciary continues to be patriarchal. That is the unfortunate truth about our legal situation in South Africa. And Section 174, Subsection 2 of our Constitution, actually speaks of the fact that there needs to be a deliberate diversity within the South African judiciary. And transformation, if you're in corporate, you know it's not easy to enter into the market. It's no different within the legal fraternity. We'll share our own experiences together with uh, the guest's experience. Her name is Bridget Moache. And yeah. yeah. I mean, she, she, she's um, a, a young lady who's come a long way. But being an attorney myself, I would say that the legal provision is one of the least transformed and one of the most conservative uh, professions that you will go find out there. And I'd like, you know, what we want to do is give everybody an idea of what it's like as a young black professional woman living in a society and in a profession that is sometimes great but has its challenges so we would really like to to you to to listen in and to participate in this remember that you can participate in the conversation on twitter at vow fm using the hashtag law focus our podcasts iino.fm and remember, you tuned into Law Focus on VIOFM 88.1. Let's take a look at our legal hotspots, which are the hottest legal stories of the week. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, the of, the stories of the week. Yes, legal hotspots. 
Now, Legal Aid South Africa, the employees have embarked on a strike over many, many employment grievances. The workers are fighting against a number of issues which include lack of security, employee benefits and massive budget cuts. Uh, Legal Aid South Africa provides legal aid to a large number of South Africans who are unable to afford legal services. Now, if you imagine that legal services are really, really expensive, the work that is done by legal aid is extremely important because they provide the bulk of legal services to many people in this country. Now, the national spokesperson, uh, Shabangu, Mr. Shabangu, says the courts will be affected by the strike. However, walk-in clients are still welcome at the legal aid offices uh, all over the country, and they will be assisted. I can personally attest to the fact that in court yesterday and today, we've had this issue where... Members of the public have been unable to be assisted because they haven't had legal representation through legal aid and then matters have been postponed and quite a number of matters happened there. So we're hoping, I really am hoping, uh, that the um, strike and the strikers as management and management can come to some sort of solution quickly before the situation really clogs up the court system. Definitely, because we know affording a lawyer is really expensive. Yeah, no, it's not. It's, it's not very house, expensive. Yeah. So legal aid is very important. In our next story, the presidential leaks continue in South Africa, and that is pertaining to the CR17 campaign. So in 2017, we know that there was the running for the ANC's new president, and many people were running. Who was running? It was Ramaphosa. It was Miss. Mrs. What's her name? Kosazana Lamini. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were going head to head, and now yeah, those were the two main contenders. Those were the two main contenders, yeah. and coming out of the short history that we have uh, leading up to the elections obviously was that there were literally two camps within the ANC. There was the Zuma faction, and then there was the Ramaphosa faction. Well, he managed to win, and he's now the president of the country. But the problem is that only in 2019. We are starting to see transactions that are being made to a lot of different people. Some of them, whoa, a lot of people. Some of them are not even ANC members. Yeah. Some of them are ANC members. Some are paid, are complaining different amounts of monies are being paid mm. to different people, and it's like two years after this. It is really is across the board, and it seems to be that a lot of skeletons are sort of coming out. I mean, I know that it's cost one EFF uh, politician... Two. Is it two? two. Oh, wow. Her, the, their job, certainly, because they received money from the campaign. I don't know what the... There were some personal reasons surrounding that, but it will seem as though... Um, yeah, no. Do you feel sorry for the president, Uh You know, the president is a multimillionaire, hey? <laughs> really? Fortunately, he was a businessman. Yeah, before. he was a businessman before. So, I mean, I don't know how sorry I feel for the president. Uh, and we can't forget the fact that uh, this has come from perhaps him not being as forthright as he could have been in Parliament. Mm. When he was asked the question, his answer was somewhat lacking, which now kicked in all of these Ish. sort of closer examples. Maybe Musi is also going to regret asking that question, eh? I mean, I, I wouldn't mind seeing what, who got what. Uh, from whom? Transparency, from, from, from everybody. Yeah. From everybody. Because it seems as though everybody is just getting money here. And there's no uh, real explanation for why they're getting the money. And some of them, it's more than 24 months after the campaign. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Okay. Now, moving on to somewhat 
really disturbing news. Uh, three of the so-called Kriosdorp killers uh, were sentenced to multiple life sentences in connection with a series of murders and related crimes. And they were sentenced in the Johannesburg High Court yesterday. Uh, the three that were remaining, the other ones, it's a group of them, I can't remember the exact number, but the bulk of them were uh, sentenced, I think it was a month or two ago. And these are the only three that ones that were remaining. They're Cecilia Stain, Marcel Stain and Zach Valentine. They were all found guilty in June of several crimes linked to uh, a murder spree and the murders took place around uh, Krugersdorp between 2012 and 2016. Now they're part of a group called Electus Perdeus, which translates to chosen by God. I, I don't know why odd people love Latin. Sounds Maybe, like a cult. Yeah, no, but they love Latin. Odd, odd, odd people love Latin. You come across a group that has a Latin name. Lawyers <laughs> love Latin, <laughs> can I just say? No, no, that's different. That's different. Let, let, let's not go there. But uh, they, what they did was they eventually, this Electus Perdeus uh, group, they eventually men, uh, murdered 11 people, which include Valentine wife and this was in the space of about four years uh, the, uh, Justice Francis said that uh, uh, the accused had committed very serious and barbaric crime about delivering their verdict um, he had he also added that it was the worst case he'd presided over in a long time one of the uh, 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 people involved was only 14 years old no. when it started no. and it's amazing Imagine. and uh, it, it, what 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 one one of the comments that the judge made was that um, people who were very bright, you know, people who had uh, become degrees, highly educated people, um, you know, f high paying jobs, were were co actually completely and totally controlled and manipulated by the ringmaster, who was Cecilia Stain, a, a woman who hadn't gone past it. Not that being educated mm. makes you clever or not clever mm, or anything mm, like. mm, mm. but it's astounding that someone could really um, wield so much influence over a group of people to the point where one of them arranges for the murder of his own wife it's but life sentences have been handed out unfortunately they are as per custom they're running concurrently so in, in effect they get each of them have gotten a life sentence what matters is that it's a life sentence. Yeah. We'll not see them again in oh, public. We'll see them. <laughs> no, we'll see them. Oh, this is South Africa and the law. Hey, I know. I'm forgetting. Well, in our final story, it's also another very shocking and painful incident that took place in Farnderpeel Park last week. So, a black mother was pepper sprayed by, this is alleged, am I right? Um, but there is CCTV yeah. footage, yeah. Um, even though there's problems yeah, now with the footage. I mean, you say alleged, but I mean, th th this is what... This is really what happened. Yeah, what I mean, so yeah. she didn't park her car correctly at the Val Mall, and that really sparked this racial incident where she was asked, are you stupid, you idiot? And they came out and they complained about the way she had parked and as... But I think they called her... The conversation ensued. Her child a baboon. Yes, so they did. So, yeah. So it got to a point where they... She was breastfeeding at the time. She was breastfeeding her son. They called her son a baboon and they pepper sprayed her after obviously sh uh, threatening to shoot her. Hmm. Um, and yeah, that is the latest South African racial incident. You know, they don't learn about Adam Katsadero. I've almost stopped being surprised at these incidents. I think the only ones that make the news are the ones, you know, that are really, really sort of so brazen. 
But I think every day people live with this kind of stuff. And the more that we expose it, I think the better off we'll all be. Um, ultimately, people have been treated with disrespect here. And I hope that this is taken particularly serious. For me, this is assault with intent to do grievous bodily harm, particularly against the child. And that should carry a term of imprisonment, direct imprisonment. Mm, not, not. Yeah. What do they usually do? They make them pay fines to some organization uh, because uh, they've got the money and then well, that's well, it. The, the thing that I heard, I mean, this is only reports now in the media, that what the charge is a common assault. I can't imagine that this pepper spraying a mother with a breastfeeding child could be common assault. To my mind, it can't be. It's got to be assault with intent to do grievous bodily harm, specifically against the child. And that carries a term of direct imprisonment when you're found guilty. It should, in fact, not always, mm. but it should carry a term of direct imprisonment. This idea of common assault using pepper spray against an infant just should, it's just not on. It's wrong. Yeah. Well, members of the public who might have seen the incident or who do have information are encouraged to come forward to the police with more details because they are still trying to locate uh, the woman uh, who did this and her identity. And yeah, or, or, or if you are the woman who participates <laughs> in this thing, bring yourself please forward. bring yourself forward. L- l- let's hear from you uh, and hear why it is that you pepper sprayed a child and called the child a baboon. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah, no. Well, you are listening to Law Focus with Millicent and Tepo. We are going to be speaking transformation in the South African judiciary. You might have a comment that you want to make or you have a question that you would like to ask. You may tweet us on at VowFM using the hashtag Law Focus. If you do not have Twitter, to ask a friend to ask a friend to ask a friend to ask a friend to help you tweet it is 1920 we will see you after this rounding up all, all the top all stories, the of, the stories of the week is legal hotspots Okay, my name is Kiara and I think there has been public awareness to the fact that there needs to be changes with regards to gender race and disability such things in the judiciary but I think being seen as a lawyer or being part of the job or system, it's still known that there's a gap between men, female, whites, blacks, Indians, coloreds, being that women are getting paid less, they are only choosing like maybe one ethnic woman, even though there's so many, just to show that they're making a change when it's not really a change, it's just trying to please everybody else. and. Yeah, I think there needs to be much more work put into the judiciary because people are just doing it for the sake of doing it instead of actually trying to enforce equality. I believe that there must be more disabled individuals represented in the judiciary as well as white males, Indian males and Indian women. In general, I believe that there should be more females. I think our judiciary represents and reflects our society and at the top tier it, it represents what's going on at the bottom so we don't live in a well-transformed society we have issues and an inherently patriarchal society which then gets reflected at the top so even in our conversations about transformation it's mainly around issues of race but we don't have a strong undercurrent of good feminist and intersectional politics and that's how we end up having a situation where the transformation is slow and so I think at the bottom level and at every level of society we should be working to tackle patriarchy and misogynoir and all the issues that come along with that and maybe then we'll start to see proper transformation bringing you the facts handing you your rights this is Law Focus 
Good evening, you're back with us here on Law Focus and we're discussing transformation, not just actually in the judiciary, but in the legal profession and the experiences particularly of young black females and black professionals within the legal profession. And perhaps other marginalized persons. Yeah, perhaps as well. Um, on the line, we've got Bridget Muache. I think she used to be Bridget Muache. I think perhaps the name has changed. Hello, Bridget. Hi, How are you? <laughs> I'm okay. It's good to hear from you. I know that the name has changed, hasn't it? We got married yes. recently, didn't we? I got we? married. Yes. Makanya. 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 Congratulations yes. on that. Thank you very much. It's a, well. it, it, uh, and I and I wish you all the best. Unfortunately, I couldn't attend the wedding. You know, yes. the, the, the the invite must have gotten lost in the. Anyway, let's let's move away from that. <laughs> let's move away from that. You know, to, yes. what 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 I wanted, what we wanted to do today was to really ask you about what you think the role of the judiciary, just overall in terms of transformation is you know can the judiciary play a role in transforming south africa um first of all good evening to to you both and to your listeners thank you for inviting me through um look i think the judiciary has a very very important role to play um in transformation you know um personally when i when I was, you know, um, in high school and I was, I, you know, faced with the decision of thinking, what am I going to do when I'm done with my matric? And obviously coming from a, a very uh, strong female, um, you know, background at home, I was raised by a single mother along with my grandmother. I knew it, it was very important for me to continue, you know, the fight of, of, of you know, being a strong a black woman in 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 our country mm. and entering into into the legal legal world obviously has its has its challenges you know be it from from the necessary funding um getting into the to the legal field and then obviously um after you've attained your your degree what what are the possible you know uh, scenarios or what are possible fields that you would like to enter and i think um, it's true, and it's some. It's a discussion that we should not be afraid to discuss amongst, you know, amongst ourselves. Mm. It, it it becomes increasingly, increasingly difficult as a black female um, to enter into the legal um, world, and you know, because there's already a stereotype around that. Yeah. Um, you know, as a black woman that you you face, and I don't think it only affects um, the legal world. It, it, it's generally a corporate. Um, or, or, you know, a uh, thing in the world where I felt personally that I will go into this, into this whole saying to myself, look, I'm, I'm, I'm young, I'm black, I'm female. There's already a stereotype around me. It seems that I have so much to compete, not only around my, you know, my black female colleagues, but you have to work 110% more because you are, you are, you are coming in yeah. with a stereotype to say you, you will be surpassed, you know, in 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 corporate um, world by your mm. your white counterparts. Yeah. You know, you have to or, or, most of them. Or, or the perception that you're just there for numbers and be yes. and what, but you have to work past that all the time. Exactly. Sometimes it it it's there hanging over your head to say if you do advance, if you happen to advance, is it because 
of you know of of them having to satisfy their numbers, or are you actually doing something that is is being recognised? Yeah. So it, it's a it's a struggle constantly between you know between yourself um, personally and also you know as as a, as a black woman that wants to advance into legal world, knowing that you you've done it through merit and not necessarily you know in numbers. Yeah. Definitely. But yeah. Yeah, I went into I went into um, practice, you know, with that in mind, and knowing um, I think yeah, knowing exactly what what you know I will be up against, and um, and I've made it constantly my mission. Luckily, I had a very good mentor when I started. Yes, yes, that, a very good mentor. Yes, a very good mentor that you know was all about transformation. So it was very easy. Uh, to not be in this battle alone because it is a battle that I think is, you know, it's a continuous battle that um, you will need a lot of strong characters to fight, you know, within, obviously, corporate and also, you know, in, in our courts, in, in, in government, it's in everywhere. Um, so I think... To, sorry to interrupt you. I, I, I just want to take you back a little bit. Just a little bit, yeah? yeah? I, I want to go back just to perhaps to two things where oh, you say, well, there's, you know, you're raised by a single uh, uh, mother and, and, and the grandmother as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've always wanted to be an attorney, for example. I've never really thought of anything else, but I could always picture other black male attorneys, you see, or yeah. a black male judge or an advocate. But I knew mm-hmm. of black guys who were in the legal field and they were killing it. For you, did yeah. you know of black women? Like, I never met, for instance, a black female magistrate yeah. before I became an attorney. I never met a black female who was a judge before I became an attorney. Yeah. I knew one or two prosecutors, maybe, but that was, that, that was the extent of it. For you, what was yeah. the driver to say, but is there somebody out there who I can look at and be like, because I see mm-hmm. now you're, you're, you know, you're a director at quite a, a significant firm, and you, you know, we... we, we, we we're building this thing, I can see. But yes. what gave you that impetus? Look, going into um, going into this, I did not know of a single black uh, female attorney. Mm. I will not lie to you. Um, you know, you would obviously read about your black female attorneys, but most of them are in the you know, United States, they yes. are abroad. Yes. But I never knew personally of a black female magistrate, judge, attorney, and I thought to myself, well, there you go. Here's, here's your chance. Here's the gap to become one of those people. Mm. And and I knew that in order for myself to be on the same level as your black male attorneys, advocates, or even your white male um, uh, attorneys, advocates, and judges, I had to make sure that I leave a mark and become one of those one of those women that someone would say, okay, I want to study law and I want to become like Bridget Makana. She is one of, you know, the the most successful black female attorneys out there. I did not have that going into 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 the into the legal field and I thought to myself, I can actually create that mm. and, and be sort of like a, a, a motivation or an inspiration for someone that, you know, would be coming into 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 the law so um yeah yeah i think your story sounds interesting so far i think listening to you i'd like you to unpack more about your life and the challenges that you really experienced getting into this profession from the time Mm -hmm. you decided i want to be a lawyer as someone who wanted to fight whatever you saw as a need to be fought what were those things 
the difficulty of then getting into that institution and having mm. to study and make sure that you pass because you come yes. from a single woman <laughs> family and you can't let them yes. down. You know the pressures exactly. of being a young yeah. black person generally. Please share with us yes. those experiences and challenges. Yeah, look, um, it, start, it, it, it sounds like a typical black child story, but I, I think it's a bit underrated when you think about it. A lot of people don't appreciate what it is coming from, you know, a, a single parent home and that is not necessarily, you know, financially stable, so to speak. So already you come into this with a lot of stresses of... Okay, I have to now make it. I have to go, um, I have to actually pass my trick with a university entrance. That's number one pressure. And then you go into university and you're like, shucks, I'm studying an LLB degree. I really need to pass. I need to make sure that I have good marks. If I fail, that's it. Mm. You know, my, my, my mom has raised me. She's basically spent all her money to make sure that I succeed. It becomes so difficult. Um, it became so difficult for me, you know, and I had to, it was very difficult. Um, I had to move back home in the middle of my studies because of finances mm. and travel long hours to get to school. But um, coming from where I come from and, you know, I was lucky enough to have that character in me to be able to be strong and say to myself, just imagine where you're coming from and just make sure that you never in a position where you are forced there because you did not actually, you know, take it upon yourself to make sure that you get out of that situation. Mm. Um, you know, I, it wasn't, you know, I, I didn't need my hand to be held through studying. So I made it my mission to make sure that I studied every chance that I got. And um, well, lucky for me, I wasn't really much of a, you know, an extrovert. So I, I, I kept myself most of the time. No so, you a, so you weren't a party animal there at that. Well, I tried. Yeah. I tried. To on, the streets, uh, <laughs> on the streets of Hatfield there, Tuckers. <laughs> I, try, I tried to say, look, let's lead a balanced life. Okay. Sometimes, you know, if you, you, if you do uh, too much of something, another thing is going to basically um, get... Yeah, suffer because of that. So ultimately, yeah. you know, I had a goal in mind and that was to get my LLB degree and, you know, then came the big hurdle of trying to find articles. And actually, I, till this day, I tell people that it's actually Tapa Mahaku that actually helped me get my first job. I had given up. I sure. thought, you know, I went interview after interview and look, I was a average student, not going to lie. And I just, you know, most of these law firms, they would hire two years in advance or three years in advance. Yes. So I was in my last year. I had given up hope. Then a phone call from Temple came and said, Did just send me a CV. Aww. I just sent it. And then I'm like, oh, okay, let's see what happens. Hey, now we're revealing secrets. Now. No, you <laughs> must reveal. We, we need to know how these things work. They will text you your story. So this is what I'm doing. Mm. So... So then I sent my CV, but, you know, a part of me had kind of like given up and said, okay, let's just think about plan B. Yeah. We might not get articles, think maybe a year of doing something else. Mm-hmm. But I got to the interview. Um, I said I literally interviewed one time and then I got the call and said, okay, in. Wow. And that was that. I started at this firm, did my articles there. A year later, I... Um, then a few years later, I got admitted and then immediately got promoted. A year later, got promoted again. Yeah. 
to your associate. Yeah. Then a year later to your associate director. Um, and I was just grinding and grinding and grinding every chance that I got. Um, because I went into thinking you need to work 150% mm. harder than your white counterpart. Definitely. Very but I, I was faced with that every day to say, look, um, you have a lot um, to offer because you're brilliant, you're bright. But just remember, you know, reality is exactly as it is. Sometimes it it takes a little bit more out of me as a black female attorney to to impress and to 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 make sure that I become recognized. So that I made it my life mission. And then ultimately, I decided it's time for me to go because I was pursuing, you know, becoming partner at age thirty, and I made sure that I worked. I worked and I worked and I worked hard enough to create all the necessary network, clientele and relationships out there. And then I decided to join. Um, I actually got headhunted by the, sorry, by the firm that I'm at now mm-hmm. and I joined there yeah. as a director. So that was yeah, that, that's my experience so far. Okay, 5FM listener, you are in conversation with Millicent and Tsepo right here on Law Focus. And tonight we're speaking of transformation within the judiciary. You are hearing the voice of Bridget Makanya. She is an admitted attorney. She's been serving for a couple of years right now. And she's sharing her story on the difficulties, challenges, getting into the legal profession that she experienced and how she overcame them. And she's going to, as she relates her story, you will be obviously getting advice here and there on how you can also manage the struggles if you are interested in studying law or you have studied law and you are trying to penetrate the market or you are in the market and you're trying to climb the step ladder. It's hard. It's hard. And it is now... In 36 minutes after 7 o'clock and we will continue the conversation. Remember, at VowFM using the hashtag LawFocus is how you can get in contact with us for any questions or comments. Yeah. And, uh, Bridget, I, I know that we, we, we like to... In South Africa, we sometimes have a habit of sort of, you know, looking at older white guys as being an impediment to transformation, which is often the case. Um, but in your experience, has that always been the case? I know for myself, uh, I had a, a, a principal who was pivotal in A, me mm. becoming an attorney, and then B, me being having the ability or the arrogance would have to start my own practice at a later stage. Um, I think we share an experience there. Yeah. And that was an older white guy who I still have a great deal of respect for. So what's your experience mm. of the corporate profe- you know, the corporate area, and what would you say to people you know, about going into that male white environment? What kind of mm. you know, approach they should they have to it? Look, Kappa, me and you, I think, had exactly the same experience, and we were lucky enough to have the same principal and mentor. Um, and to me, going in there with the stereotype that I had about, you know, my uh, white counterpart, I was met with uh, a completely different um, experience, you know, when I was working alongside my principal. And I must say, I was able to 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 be taught and to be um, motivated enough regardless of of the fact that I'm a black female attorney um, to become an attorney to to tell myself that I can become a brilliant attorney and it had nothing to do with color it had mm-hmm. nothing to do with my gender 
purely because I was brilliant enough and I was determined enough to actually succeed in the corporate world. So I think it also, in addition to having that self-confidence and and, and that self-esteem, it also um, uh, played a good role to have someone in your corner who constantly believed in you and, and constantly empowered you to to think of yourself, you know, beyond your color, beyond your race, and purely as as, as an intelligent uh, legal mind. Yes. So I who's, never who's delivering a service. Yeah. yeah, I never experienced any negative, um, um, you know, backlashes or be it um, what to speak um, where I was for the past three four years um, because I had, you know, I did not have that. Um, I, I was quickly that that perception that I had about you know white males or white females or white people in general and how they are great to perceive me um, was quickly quickly erased by you know the the the, the reception that I received from my principal um, from day one. Yeah. So I was able my personality also I think I'd like to say I am able to to adapt and you know fit you know along with with. Any, any person, I was able to learn from each and every experience that I got. And yeah, no, the, 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 the and uh, yeah, like, like you've also carefully said, you know, he, he, the, my principal played a very, 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 very big role and he continues to do so because we, our relationship evolved from, you know, a professional one where I can actually literally call him my best friend now because um, it's very, very important for someone to, you know, for, it was important for me to be recognized as as a brilliant attorney, and um, purely by name and by 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 the kind of work that I was doing, the kind of service that I was delivering um, throughout. Know my years of being there. Mm. Yeah. Um, we've been yeah. speaking. We've been speaking and using this word transformation a lot. I still haven't yet heard your definition of <laughs> this word transformation. <laughs> throwing it around, which is awesome. But, but I think after we take this short break, can yeah. you just quickly just define for us when you say transformation, what are you talking yeah. about? What would it mean right, to cool. you? Law focus and you your rights. Welcome back to Law Focus with Millicent and Tepo. We are in conversation with Bridget Makanya, and she is sharing her experience as an attorney. Transformation, Miss Bridget, what is transformation? Yeah. Look, to me, transformation is, I think, in the literal sense. I, I apply it in the literal sense. You know, having, having that ability to make this dramatic impact or change or acting as some sort of a you know, an agent for change um, in whatever form. And you can transform, um, you know, your workplace, you can transform your surrounding, your environment in various ways. But to me, transformation is being able to take that decision to come into a certain environment um, with your ideologies and trying to, to effect a change that is going to be, you know, beneficial to to you know, to, to your fellow, you know, to your fellow colleagues or mm. fellow friends or, or be it whatsoever. So it's very important. And I think not everyone has that character to actually go into a certain environment that is dead set in its ways and go in there with an idea um, to say, this is my view of what I think should change in the way things are done or in, 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 in the way that you think. 
that is going to impact a certain certain individual. So that's my view. Being being able to to be strong enough to go in go into an already set standard and and effect that change that is not going to be always pleasant, but that will at the end have a positive effect. Um, on people. I like that definition because then yeah. it, it spearheads my next question for you, which mm. is, I think, it's a big question but we have to try and smallerize it. Um, okay. <laughs> so, uh, transformation obviously uh, does not only speak of progress when you are already in the field. Uh, some of the experiences mm. of just entering into the legal field, you know because you experienced them. It's really hard and I'm not sure how much uh, directors and people who recruit us take into take seriously the factors and reality of South African inequality. And when mm-hmm. I say that, I'm speaking of our socio-economic uh, background that we come from. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes mm-hmm. you'll come across an advert for a candidate attorney and it will say you need to be bilingual and by bilingual they mean English and Afrikaans, not English and Isizulu, mm. no. Mm. So that's problem number one when we know that Afrikaans was fought for as a medium of non-instruction in 1976 but we still have this issue in the, in the legal fraternity when you apply for articles of clerkship. Sometimes mm. you come across an advert that will say only white female candidate or non-EE, mm. right? And class status for me also then seems to be something that is almost as if if you have money, it's easier for you to become an attorney or an advocate because you'll have a requirement that says you must have your own license. Sometimes, Mm. most of the time nowadays, even your own car. And honestly, Mm. when you are a simple, poor, working class, black child, you've never earned a salary in your life. Where are you supposed to get a car from? Sometimes where really yeah. do you even get a license because you don't have the money to go and do that? So there's no empathy with graduates from the people who are hiring. What's your take on that? Speaking mm-hmm. of transformation, how would how, and how do you think that this can be dealt with uh, by people yeah. who are recruiting? Look, that has always been my cry um, before I even you know achieved you know. Um, you know, the the rank that I have, if I can call it that. Um, it, it's, it's, it's very difficult, I think, for for someone that is, you know, high in status and, and already, you know, in, in that direct uh, partner position to be able to relate to your fresh out of university student. And as much as it's easy to, to pay lip service and say no, um, we must take into consideration the you know backgrounds of 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 your previously disadvantaged or be it whatever. Um, I think what okay if I can give an example about how I approached things mm. um, in my previous firm. You know I, I was most of the time your interviews. It's normally your directors that sit in there. Nobody nobody gets invited. You know I'll put invited in inverted commas to sit in and interview prospective candidates. And again, it it, it 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 came it came from you know the the type of character that I eventually developed through through my through my mentorship to be able to to be able to voice an opinion even when you know sometimes you're not asked to voice an opinion, but where you think it's necessary for someone to actually realize um, when you know when they are not necessarily you know 
taking the fuller view or fuller, fuller, fuller picture of, 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 you know, a, a prospective candidate. So I, when I was still, you know, an associate at the firm, I would make, I would make it my mission to speak to the directors and most of them, you know, to, to try and make myself a part of certain committees in the firm, be it your HR committees or your, your BE committees, whatever committees they would like to, to, to form purely on uh, on a mission to try and teach um, your my directors, you know, about the realities of how things are there. And I, I must admit, they are not, you know, and I don't mean this in a bad way, they're not necessarily educated um, enough about about where we come from and, and exactly what it, what it took mm. for us to get to where we are, to be able to be sitting in front mm. of them, interviewing to become a candidate at yeah. I mean, um, I, yeah, you're, I think you're, sorry, Ginger, I think you're right about that. A lot of them aren't sensitive um, to the yes. fact or the reality of many black South Africans. What they yes. expect is a young guy who went to Tux or to Boys High. And yeah, that's the kind of black guy we want who is who is just yes. virtually just like them, but a different shade. And if you're yeah. like that, you fit easily. Trust me, I know, exactly. you fit very easily into that. But when yes. you're not in that mold, and that's not the mold of most black South Africans, yeah. then you don't fit quite as easily. But I think, you know, just to cut you a little bit short there, because we've got mm. some time restrictions, is that it'll only take people like you entering into the mm. profession to be able to sensitize the profession towards yeah. that mm. kind of stuff. Even someone like me will not necessarily have the sensitivities. It's not enough. Yeah, yes. even some will not necessarily have the sensitivities that of the practical reality that is there. You need real mm. people from real backgrounds mm. to do that. Exactly. What I wanted to ask you as well was, how has your experience been with your colleagues or with uh, presiding of, say, magistrates or, or um, uh, uh, let's say, commissioners in the CCMA or judges or, or, or whatever the mm. case may be? In my experience... I get a little bit of pushback as a black guy sometimes, but all mm. I have to do is flex a little bit, gr- you know, growl here and there, bark mm-hmm. a bit, and everything's mm-hmm. in order again. What's your experience? Yeah. Sure, I've never had to growl. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, <laughs> um, all I, you know, I, I have, I have a constant smile on my face, but I'm very persistent. Okay. I'm persistent. Um, very persistent, but you know, without having to growl and become very serious about it. Mm. Um, and look, I'm able to, like I said, I thank God for that. Being able to quickly read a situation and quickly read a person um, and their personality and be able to tackle whatever situation that I'm faced with. You will get tons and tons of different personalities everywhere you go, presiding mm. judges, commissioners. But I was, I'm, I'm blessed enough to be able to, you know, even through very, very bad circumstances, be able to, you know, sit back, assess the situation, and then think, you know, very quickly also um, on my feet on how to tackle situations. But um, I've been able to calmly be persistent enough to be able to persuade people actually you know go with what i usually want i i genuinely envy you i really envy you in that (laughs) (laughs) i envy you i I shout from the rooftops (laughs) really yeah i do i do Um, well bridget you know what there's also 
I, I don't know. I'm interested in also your, your opinion about if we had, let's say, more black women, people living with special needs, the LGBTQ people, uh, mm. people who have just acquired citizenship, not born in South Africa. Uh, so all the previously marginalized and disadvantaged, if we had more of those people sitting in the benches and within the judiciary space, how, how mm. different... Uh, do you think our judgments might be? How different do you think our policies might be? And just the whole sector of law, how different would it be? Sure, I think it would be very different. I mean, to be able to be sitting with so many different minds and and, and people um, with so many different types of perspectives on things, I think um, you will have less and less conservative judgments, you know, you would have more open-minded um, judgments and more, um, you know, thought-out judgments to, that are more inclusive, you know. Um, and, yeah, look, I've recently, I think I've, I've had a few experiences with, with with judges that are more open-minded, you know, your your. Um, your judges that are from, you know, like you said, your 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 marginalised judges, and I think they are more, you know, they're more inclusive. They are open to to all sorts of possibilities. They're more. It's not a it's not a black and white type of scenario mm. with them, um, and it's it's so refreshing to be sitting with someone that is actually open enough to consider, you know, all the different views and perspectives that would come with with a certain argument, so to speak, as opposed to someone that goes in there with a one sided view and says no. This is my view, and yeah. this is this has been the accepted view, and it should continue being the accepted view. I think it'll be a tremendous, tremendous, um, um, you know, big and and wonderful um, contribution, impact, yeah. To, yeah, and contribution yeah. to, to the judiciary to, mm. to have you know those oh, type yeah. of well, you, um, qualities and Did you have any any sort of advice and? Uh, or some words of encouragement or warning, whatever you'd like, to young mm. black ladies who are thinking of entering the profession or who are in the profession and disillusioned? Yeah. Um, like I said, um, go go in there. You know, I wake up every day knowing that um, I've, I've worked hard for what I've um, what I've achieved, achieved yeah. and and um, I, there are going to be a lot of people that make you doubt yourself. Mm. There are a lot of people that are going to think that you're not brilliant enough because you're young, or you're black, or you're female. Um, but if you go into this world, um, this this big challenging world that we call the the legal world, if you go in there with the mindset. Um, of of having self self confidence and and having that strong character is it, going to get challenged a lot of times. A lot of people are going to, like I said, make you think that you know you you're just a number, mm. or you're just a face, or you you know just a pretty face, or you you just you know one of the young ones that we have around. But if you go in there knowing that there will be you know, certain downfalls and certain uphills that you will be constantly faced with. But you tell yourself that whatever it is that gets thrown my way, I'm much bigger than that. It will, it will, it will make a tremendous, um, you know, it will be tremendous to your, to your, to your, to your career. Um, and 
don't let people, you know, ever, ever um, make you think that you will never achieve anything. Um, yeah. Okay. And if you're able to, yeah, if you're, if you're able to just be, be sure of yourself and be confident in yourself um, and whatever, you know, whatever comes knocking and trying to, for, uh, you know, make you fall, it will not succeed. That's just my motto in life. You know, I told yeah. myself that I'm, I'm, I'm smart, I'm intelligent, I'm beautiful, um, I'm, I'm very, very intelligent. I'll make it, no matter what anybody says. Definitely. It sounds, it sounds cliche, but it, 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 it counts a lot. Brown skin, girl, you gotta rock. You must <laughs> rock. You must tell yourself these things. It was so awesome having Bridget Makanya. <laughs> Wasn't she fantastic? Excellent. Thank you yeah. so much for Thank sharing you. your story. It's really Thank great. you. Yeah, we appreciate so it. Yeah. And you congratulations. Thank you very much for inviting me. Congratulations on everything. And you've all done. the best. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Right. Thanks a lot, guys. That wow. was Bridget Makanya. She's a director at Paper Incorporated. Young black woman who mm. is a trailblazer in the legal profession. We Doing big things. Really, all the best. Did you uh, hear what she said? Don't allow them to say, to basically make you doubt yourself. Don't do that. That's right. Yeah, Don't. That's true. Look, ultimately, what you're going to face, you will face bigotry. You will face doubt. You will face sexism. I love the isms. All of the isms that exist as a black woman, trust me. And even black men will undermine you too. So you are really don't have many allies no. ultimately you must be able to look at the world in the eye and be unflay unflinching when you do so yeah. really you have to take it among you know within your grasp in your hands your future is there and people will do everything to get in the way some people will do everything to get in the way but go in there don't be afraid you will find people that will help you uh, even if it's difficult for you. you may not have a car you may not be bilingual do it anyway. It's the only way that the judiciary will ever change. And as cliche as it sounds, I guess what she did say about having confidence in yourself, telling yourself, I can do it, telling yourself, I am smart, I am beautiful, I am, I am, I am, is important. It really is, especially as a black woman. Definitely. Podcasts, I know that FM, that's where you can catch this interview and all our other interviews. If you would like to listen to them again, we spoke to... Bridget Makanya, when we really like to send our gradu- gratitude to her once again for being on the show this evening. We hope that you learned and you were encouraged by her experience. Up next is the total package with Caesar the MC, DLXL, as well as Celeste King. From our producer, Simba Honde, our technical producer, Kudrano Sirami, our law focus researchers, Sisetu Zingelwa, Nalkamamate, Sipati Makafani, Tapo Muhappi and myself, Melissa Tintiweni. Thank you for tuning into Law Focus tonight. Good night. Law Focus. Point, point of information. Law Focus podcast is also available on iTunes. Search Law Focus.